Okay, let's go ahead and read our verse together. I think this should be our verse of the month. Anybody feel that way? Okay. Uh, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. And we're going to be uh, looking at that passage and uh, we'll go through it here. You can look at either screen rather than looking at me. Uh, it's fine too. Uh, it'll keep you busy with a lot of different things going on. James um, is dealing with this issue and I want us to think about it in relationship to temptation through trials. Okay? In other words, trials... Pastor Jonathan talking about at the at the previous services, depending on which one you went to, he was talking about how we face real trials in our life, and we all will go through them, regardless of what type of, of trial it is. There will be trials that are going through our lives, and we're going to experience those trials. But at the same time, those trials, those difficulties can actually turn into a temptation for us to sin. In other words, and we're, we'll get into this, when we go through challenging experiences, how do we then respond? What will our response be to those difficulties? Do we get angry with God? Do we judge God? Do we judge our situation? I thought you were good all the time and all the time you were good and why am I now going through this experience? Uh, you know, I married this person and I love this person, but they're a sinner. I wasn't expecting them to be a sinner. Even though the Bible says for all the sin and fall short of the glory of God, we're like, no, 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 no. I want my spouse to be perfect. Give me grace, but I'd like them to be perfect. And we go through life and we go through these experiences, which then can cause us to go, oh, if they do that, then I'm going to do this. And we use our life circumstances is an excuse to sin at times if we're not careful. James chapter 1, 13 through 18 says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. It's an important thing to catch here. Okay. Is God tempted? Is he ever lured and enticed by a sinful desire? No. That's why he says, uh, don't say I'm being tempted by God because God doesn't tempt that way. He doesn't give you some internal desire to sin. That comes from within us. Then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, uh, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, God does not change in his nature. He is holy, holy, holy. He is love. These are characteristics nature of God that does not change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So how do I respond to trials? The word for trials, attempted, as I said at the beginning, are the same Greek word. 
So how do translators know which word to use? It's the context of the passage. And clearly, based on this, it's not a testing, like a challenge in our life, but it's a temptation to sin because it comes from within the eternally. Okay? It becomes a trial or a temptation based upon, look at this, my response. In other words, something happens in your life. You lose a job. You lose a child, a friend, a family mother, a parent. You lose um, something dear to you, yourself. You lose your health. There are things that we will go through in life that are obviously trials. You are betrayed by a best friend. Or you lose someone who you felt very close to. And it's like, why would a Christian act like this? Or if somebody disappoints you, someone in the past, a, pa a pastor, a youth pastor, who you followed your entire life and just loved who they were. And all of a sudden they made a very simple, poor choice. And now you're devastated by that. How could they live like that? How could they do that? And you go through this, you know, if they do that, then is the Christian life even possible to live? And we go through these mental challenges at times. And, but how I respond to that is the key. For example, you go through a challenging experience, a trial. How do you respond? If you respond by going, Lord, I forgive my brother or sister. I, Lord, I don't understand why this has happened. I'm going to trust you through it. By that attitude alone, it becomes a trial for you. But it becomes a temptation for you to sin when your attitude about that is, well, God, if you allow that, you're not good at all. In fact, I'm just ticked off and I'm just not going to go to church anymore. They, they said something in church that offended me, so I'm just not going to go anymore. God, I can't believe the pastor said that. I don't believe that. So I, I, how can I give tithes in this church? Because I'm not going to do that. Oh, you know, Lord, you allow this to happen? Are you kidding me? I would have never dreamed that you would allow this to happen in my life. I'm done with you. I'm out of here. You know, I just don't know if God is real anymore. You know, my friend at work talks about Buddhism and, and how peaceful it is. Maybe I'll check that out. And so what we end up doing is we begin to use our life circumstances to sin. That's when that trial becomes a temptation. See, God designs our trials in life to grow us, endurance. That's what James, the first one James says. You go through these experiences to become conformed to the image of Christ. But if internally you go, no way, I am not going to grow through this. I'm just ticked off. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to sin. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. It has moved from a temptation or a test, testing from God to grow our faith to an internal temptation to sin. If I am obedient to God, I endure it as a trial. If I respond to the trial by disobeying God, it's become a temptation to, for me to sin. What are examples of positive and negative responses to trials? So let's talk about positive examples real quick. How do you respond to trials? How have you responded? Give me some examples of how have you responded to a trial and actually been gone through it successfully. Yeah. Um, well, I've been through a trial with, uh, when I lost uh, my father. 
and it was uh, I cared for him, and it was um, devastating in a way. But I, um, I just, I think, I think it's easy to to go down that slope and, and, and feel guilt and shame sometimes. But I know in Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I know that um, for me it really helps when I'm able to stay in the Word because I know the Word. Um, is God's truth to myself. So I know that even though I might be going through that something, I know that it's not going to last. And it says God walks us through the valley, so we're going through it. We're not stagnant and staying there. We are going to move forward. So I mean, sometimes, even though I might not feel the proof in the, in the process, I think it's you just have to advance anyway. Just and keep going forward. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Somebody else? You, you positively went through the experience. Years ago, we lived in a upstate New York, and we shared a driveway with some neighbors. And my son, uh, young middle son, was always out playing basketball in our driveway. Well, they had a pop-up camper that was right beside where he played basketball. One day, there was a hole discovered in the uh, screening of that pop-up camper, and they accused my son of putting a hole in there. And there was a big rift going on between us. And, and I, so they came over and confirmed I asked my son, did you do it? He said, no, I didn't do it. He said, he's lying, I know he did it. And so I started praying, and that's where a prayer request that I said this morning for what's going on in this country, prayed that my son would be exonerated, that the truth would be found out, and that we'd restore the nation, relationship with the neighbor. Well, the next morning, their 10-year-old, their boy came and told his dad that he put the hole in the trailer, and this guy was a tough lineman and a uh, construction worker, and he was not a gentleman at all. He grabbed his son and brought him across the driveway and said, and had, okay, tell him, and he apologized, and then the father apologized to us as well. And it was neat to see God answer that prayer, and so I'm believing for that same now today. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Anyone else? You know, the, the negative side of this, and I'm not going to ask for personal testimonies <laughs> unless you just you just want to share something, but it can be very challenging. Um, and I appreciated your comment about really being gracious through the whole thing. In other words, sometimes we don't always respond. We've got to give ourselves grace at times because sometimes we will make poor choices. How many of you have ever sinned? I didn't see everybody's hand up, so <laughs> you just did my line. <laughs> okay? <laughs> we naturally, in the flesh, want to respond 
to negative circumstances in our life and, and be very harsh. But we have to, we not only give grace to those who have wronged us, but we also need to give grace to ourselves. That God loves you unconditionally. God died for you. Jesus loves you unconditionally. Don't beat yourself up. Don't beat anybody else up. Don't beat yourself up. Because that's exactly the plan of Satan. Put him down. Destroy them. He comes to seek, to kill, to destroy. That's Satan's job. Don't let it be your job. Build each other up. Encourage one another. Support one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. That doesn't mean that we look past sin. We lovingly confront sin. Amen? But what we're hoping for is not to demoralize them as a brother or sister in Christ. We're not trying to put them down and put them in their place and da 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 No, 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 no. It's restoration in Christ. We don't destroy, we build up. Because our greatest need is to be restored to our Savior, to God. And so rather than tearing somebody else down and not forgiving them and not encouraging them, we need to come alongside them and build them up and say, you know what? I am here for you. I want you to get into a right relationship with God. And I'm going to do everything in my power to do that. But it's also not, again, it's not being silent about sin. No. We lovingly go, that's wrong. And I'm here for you to help you through it. I'm going to support you through this. I'm going to be there with you through this trial through this temptation, through this difficulty. Blaming God for our temptation to sin is unacceptable to James. Someone read James 1.13. No, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, ask the, answer the question, do people tend to shift the blame when they're tempted? Or when they do something wrong? Do we do, we do that? Okay, I want to. No. No. <laughs> we try to de deflect it to somebody else. It, it started in the garden, right? Okay. Adam. Don't start with me, God. It's the woman you gave to me, it's your fault. Eve. It was the serpent. If you hadn't made that serpent, I wouldn't be in this situation. It was fine. We, we, we deflect. We deflect. We deflect. You ever get pulled over by a state police officer? Why are you picking on me? There was some, some guy just passed me. Why did you catch him? Or her? Girls are driving so different these days. It's empowerment for speed or something. I don't know. Interesting. We, we, we go through this experience and we go, wait, 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 wait. Don't shift it. Okay? Why do we do that? Why do people tend to shift the blame? Because it hurts to be wrong. Pardon? It hurts to be wrong. It hurts to be wrong. It's, it's just easier to do it that way because why would we accept it because then you have to face reality? Situation. Yeah, it's just it's just easier. But think about it. I I agree one hundred percent with you. Okay, but is it 
in reality, easier? No. In fact, we go down a path that ends up causing misery, frustration, anger, bitterness, strife for much longer than if we would have just said, you're right, I'm wrong, please forgive me. Have you ever had an argument with somebody? Okay, thank you for your honesty. If you were to go, you're right, I was wrong, please forgive me. Even though you may feel, well, okay, what, what about you now? No, no, it's just, you're right, I was wrong, please forgive me. Where is that argument going to go at that point? It's going to stop. It's going to stop, right? What is the other person going to do? No, 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 I like arguing. <laughs> Let's fight some more. So we can go to bed angry. And, nobody wants that. And what ends up, what can happen through this process is when you honestly admit your own fault, if the Holy Spirit is in their life, now, I'm not saying it is, but, or whether they're responding to the Holy Spirit's leading in their life, because they may have grieved the Holy Spirit, they may have quenched the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit may not be moving in their life, but when you respond, they obviously, possibly are wrong as well. And if they don't respond in kind, forgive me for what this, you know, for what they had done. You've got to leave it in God's hands to work in their life. And that's why you pray and encourage to say, you know what, God, work in their heart and life through this challenging time. This verse emphatically communicates that we should never say, God is tempting me to sin. Why? Why is God not tempting you to sin. Because he says, I, I, that's not God. Okay, don't put God in a position that says he's tempting you to sin. Okay? God cannot be tempted by evil. So how are we to understand this idea in light of Hebrews 4.15? Someone read Hebrews 4.15 here near the bottom. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Okay, so in my younger years as a Christian, I struggled with this. I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, basically because I knew my temptations. Okay? I knew my, the things that I struggled with. And I, I, have, I have no problem believing God wasn't a sinner. Jesus didn't sin. I had no problem with that. But then I had people communicating to me, in my, again, in my early Christian life, that God can't be tempted by sin. In other words, he said basically like this. He said, what, what, this is what the gentleman told me. He said, what food do you hate the most? Liver. Liver. I just don't like it. How many are in agreement? How many of you love liver? Praise the Lord for you. Okay? You get your onions in there and all, all the good little gravy or whatever you put on it. Ketchup would be the only salvation and then it's just not going to go. But my mother made me eat it. Along with several other things that... Never mind. Dandelion salad. I used to have to eat dandelion salad. It was one of those experiences that, you know, she'd have mustard with it and the egg and she'd literally... It's dandelions. 
the, 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 the leaves. How many of you have ever had dandelion salad? Oh, I'm sorry. Just bitter, gross. But nevertheless, it's supposed to be good for me, I guess. It's a weed. <laughs> and I looked at it and I go, it goes, that's like temptation to God. Here, have some liver. It's not, he's not affected by it. I'm thinking, okay, this is not right. How can he tell me that I've been, I, I've been tempted like you are, yet without sin? Okay, in my heart as a young Christian, I would liar. But God doesn't lie. So what do you, how do I interpret this? Well, the key here is this. Jesus was fully God and fully man. 100% God. It's a hypostatic union. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus was not tempted internally to sin like we are because it comes from our own lusts and our own desires from within us to sin. Jesus did not have that. He was not capable internally to sin, but he could have been tempted externally. He's tempted. Okay. What we have is now the Holy Spirit living within us. So we have the ability like Jesus to say, no. Before we're Christians, we don't have that ability to say no to sin. The only thing we can do is mimic righteousness. But you play, play a game with reality. But when you have the Holy Spirit living within you, now you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now you have the unique ability to say no to sin because the Holy Spirit will help you do it. So internally, we now have the power when we're externally tempted to say no. It just is a testing then. It's not a real temptation to sin because the Holy Spirit's given us the power to say no. So in other words, here's an example. When you're a young Christian, sometimes you're tested by, to sin, tempted to sin by things, and it's like, whoa, this is really tough. But as you grow older in your faith, it's no longer, that's not a big deal to me. That, that doesn't bother me. Why? Because you've now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, been able to be strengthened internally so that it's not an issue anymore for you internally. It could come from the outside. It's like, that's no big deal to me. But we're still going through this process of sanctification to come to this place. So God doesn't tempt us with evil. We are, in, 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 we're tempted to sin. Our trial, our situation creates a temptation to sin when it's internally. But when we trust in God and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, all of a sudden now, we're good. It doesn't bother me anymore. I worked with guys at the country club that smoked pot. That was a temptation for me. Everybody did. My boss was a drug dealer. It was the cool thing to do. My colleagues all did it. And it was like, let me check this out. I, I, I'm not tempted to for pot anymore. That was when I was 16, not when I'm 58. If someone goes, hey, I got some weed, I would be like. <laughs> I'd be like, no thanks. I mean, literally, I remember in my high school in Alliance, Ohio, at the lunch table, a guy walks up, opens up a briefcase full of drugs. He was using the high school to sell drugs. The shop kid, the kids who were working in shop would smoke pot with the teacher. And we'd be in class going, 
Oh, the teachers smoked and popped with the students again. That's in the 70s. That was in our high school. Christian. No, I'm just kidding. Just a little money there. Hey, folks, God does not tempt anyone to sin. God doesn't tempt you to sin. But what it does is he allows things in our life. It's like he gives us the freedom. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? How are you going to handle this? Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Temptation comes from within this sinful nature of man that could lead to sin and death. Someone read James 1, 14 to 16 for me. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Okay? Don't be deceived. How this all comes about. But each person shows the universality of temptation to sin. All of us are going to face it. We're all tempted to sin. There's no, uh, me included. Uh, it, it's in your life. Everybody does. Dragged away or enticed are two parts of this temptation, though. Dragged away means compelled by an inner desire. Sin happens when we're compelled. We have an inner desire to sin. And when we're enticed, to sin as well. Entice is a fishing term for bait which humans are lured into sin. Here's an example. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 14 and 18. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by their sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So in other words, there's this culture in 2 Peter 2, 14 and 18. If you go back to that passage, what you're really addressing is hey, there are people going to be around you. They're going to put before us a lure, the bait to sin. It's all around us. How are we going to respond to it? Each person, we, we, we are all tempted in this area or can be tempted. But we, it happens when we're dragged away. By our own inner desires, we go, oh, oh, it's not really that bad. It isn't really that big of a deal. <coughs> I think I'm strong enough to handle this. I think I can do this. It's like students who come up to me, and, and, um, and I, I don't mean to take the pin out of the proverbial grenade and throw the grenade again, but you know, I, I hear this all the time. And you know what? It works out for a few of them. And it may have worked out for you. But it's not God's truth. And if that offends you, it's, you're, we're offended by God's word, not from me. Okay? But God says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Yet there will be followers of Christ. And I talk to students sometimes, and they're like, I know, but the hills are alive with the sound of music and love. And his eyes are dreamy. And I'll lead him to Jesus after we get married. Maybe. But are you going to be happy if he doesn't? Are you going to be happy if she doesn't? If she never comes to Christ her entire life and doesn't live like Jesus her entire life, are you going to be happy? Well, no. 
But I expect them to do, see, that's the thing, then, then we go, I expect them not to do these things because they married me. <laughs> really? So then are you willing to be like Jesus in their life to be the light and salt constantly to them? I'm going to be there to help them. I'm going to be there to help them. I'm going to be there. Most people are like, this isn't fair. No, no, no. Following God's word is truth. It's not about being fair. It's about truth. Are we willing to follow God's truth? God's nature is not evil, but ultimate goodness. James 1, 17 and 18. Someone read that for me. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right. Goodness and blessings are ultimately from God. It's not coincidence. It's not, you've conjured this up. You know, you got the raise ultimately because you're just an awesome person. You know, or whatever the case may be. Because if you if you accept the raise, do you accept the, the, the firing of oh, this is all my fault? No, it's the company's. Yeah. So we have to be careful of all the things that go on in life. God is responsible for the good things that happen in our life. How has God been good to you and your family? Real quick. How has God been good to you and your family? Any, any of you have saved children? Children have accepted Christ as their Savior. Is that not awesome? Man, you can pillow your head at night excited about the fact that they know Jesus. Now, some of us in here are praying for other children who don't know Christ yet. And are struggling or walking not in faith. And that we partner together in. You know, Mark, we, we continue to pray. Your two children that just aren't where they need to be right now. That's okay. That we can, we, we partner with you in that prayer because Jim Simbolin, one of the great pastors of our country, Brooklyn Tabernacle, had a wayward daughter. He shares that in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And it, it, he prayed and fasted, and, and finally his daughter came back to the Lord. You know, that was huge in his life. We all experience, could experience that. We're, what are you grateful for today? That God has blessed you. How is God good? I'm alive. <laughs> Every breath I breathe, I breathe in you. Anybody going to eat today? Amen. And I'm going to tell you something. From a worldwide perspective, we are blessed. We're not in prison. We're not being starved. We're not being persecuted. We're not having our homes taken away from us. We are blessed beyond measure. God is good. He's good to them too. He will be good to us if we go through those trials. But it will be our perspective on that that matters. Tish. I'm thankful that the church did the Dave Ramsey program with our class Isn't that awesome? And if you're not, if you're in debt, and you're kind of going, come on. Hey, it's okay. Start now. Get in the program. You can choose a different program. Or you can just choose to get out of debt and figure out a way to do that. But you got to start now. 
Because once you have that experience, it's amazing. It's free. The father of the heavenly lights was an ancient Jewish term referring to God as the creator of the heavens. Okay? So when you look at this, he's the father of lights. What's he talking about? He's the creator of it all. The sun and the moon and Jupiter and Mars. A lovely and gracious he must be. He's still working on me. My God is so. Oh, my word. We got to get you guys back to children's ministry. My God is so. So strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. If that doesn't fill you up this morning. God is good. He's created it all. Jeremiah, Nehemiah, excuse me, 96 says, You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts. The earth and all that's in them. The seas and all that's in them. And you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. The ultimate goodness of God is the salvation we have through Jesus Christ that we can know and experience through his word. God is ultimately good and he loves you and he loved you so much that he died for you. That he was buried and he rose again for you. And by believing in Jesus and repenting of your sins, you can have eternal life in heaven. But experience his presence and goodness now. That doesn't mean... That trials will come. But he'll be with you through them. So that it won't be a temptation to sin and walk away from God. But it will be his strength that will help you to get through it in victory. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we love and worship you. And I pray that through this series in the book of James that we will continue to grow to be more like your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, forgive us for our sins. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for the salvation and the forgiveness we can have in Jesus. God, as we leave this place, you have given each one of us the ability to choose. Choose goodness and righteousness or choose evil and sin. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would choose righteousness, that they would choose truth and your word. Lord, I pray if there's anyone in this room that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, that they would accept him before it's eternally too late. That they would not just see Christianity as true because of Christians, but because Jesus rose from the grave for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Thank you.